Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I'm never sure how to take something that is trending on Twitter. Is it an indicator of what a majority of people are thinking? Or does it reflect an algorithm or a loud minority that is spending all day on social media? If it's the former then it's worth it to me to pay attention. If it's the latter, then I'm kind of reluctant to give it any more oxygen than it's already getting. I bring this up because I looked at my Twitter feed a few days ago, and one of the trending topics was Lakers GM Rob Palenka. And then the next night, it was Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. And then, of course, more recently, Kyrie Irving. All of which has me hunting one more episode on getting into the Los Angeles Clippers and what concerns me now that we're getting a glimpse of all that talent that they've assembled. And glimpse is the right word because we've yet to see the playing rotation head coach Tyron Lue will use once he gets down to a business, I assume. And I can't help but feel we're watching an extended preseason right now for the Clippers with a dozen players getting 10 minutes or more a game. The Warriors are doing sort of the same thing, which is why I'm not getting all that hot and bothered about either of their starts. Although I do think there's a difference. The Clips are trying to assemble a group of players who have all proved themselves one way or another individually, and they're trying to bring them together into a cohesive unit. Whereas the Warriors are trying to see if a whole bunch of unproven players can raise their games to the level necessary to play with their championship core. All that said, I'm already seeing issues, serious issues, that are going to have to be worked out for the Clippers to play at a championship level. And maybe I'm most interested in that because I had visions of the Clippers potentially winning a championship this year. And now I'm beginning to have my doubts. It's early. We'll get to it. Soon. Just not in this episode. 
because I'm seeing and hearing way too much chatter by my fellow analysts on TV and by fans on social media that is disturbing. And I want to make sure my listeners aren't being sucked into the same mindset. Let's start with the Lakers and Palinka. Lakers got their first win this past weekend, nearly two weeks into the season, and celebrated as if they won a championship. Now, some of that was they were celebrating their head coach, Darvin Ham, getting his first win ever as a head coach. But Palinka, as the architect of the team, has been getting dragged because of the awful start, especially with the Lakers announcing in the midst of the losing that Palinka's contract was extended. I question the timing of that. Wonder just what is up. Are they not aware of the climate out there? But anybody who doesn't understand or is up in arms that he had his contract extended doesn't understand why he was hired in the first place or why Jeannie Buss would believe Rob is doing exactly what she needs him to do. One, he landed a very good first-year coach in Ham. You might say, okay, well, he took a flyer and it worked out. Who else was in the running for Ham? Wasn't like there was a lot of people who saw what he's capable of doing. And it's very early. And yes, they just won their first game. But they found a coach that the franchise can grow with. A coach who already has demonstrated that he can handle one of the most difficult situations a first-time coach could ever face, which is a rabid fan base, unrealistic expectations, and big ego superstars who are no longer in their prime. And by handle, I don't mean win. I mean deal with all of those things with poise and composure while not winning so that he might be able to come out the other side of this when they do become competitive. The Lakers, whether anyone wants to admit it or not, are in a miserable state and they're not getting out of it anytime soon. So they need someone who's going to take all the arrows without blowing up or griping that he doesn't have a free hand because of the shadow governorship of Kurt Rambis and his wife, Linda, who are both close with Jeannie. Someone who's going to have to hold fast and not give in to dealing away any more future first-round picks for a quick fix to get the heat off, at least a little bit. Now, who would possibly be willing to do all that? Rob Palinka. That's who. So let's be clear on something. The Lakers are in the predicament they're in because they did LeBron James's bidding. They went and got Anthony Davis, and then they went and got Russell Westbrook when LeBron realized he couldn't motivate AD after he got his ring in the bubble. They moved all their young promising players and draft picks, future draft picks, for veteran superstars so they and LeBron could add to their collection of rings. And they managed to get one. Look, they're one of three teams to win a championship in the last three years. That means there's 27 other teams that haven't done what the Lakers did in the last three years. Now, they were hoping to get one more before LeBron rode off into the sunset. But here's the thing about swinging for the fences. You don't get singles and doubles when you miss. 
you strike out. And that's what has happened to the Lakers the last two years and what is happening now. What disturbs me is that all of this is now being portrayed as Palinka and, by extension, Genie's fault. Now, you can blame them for going down this road with LeBron, but you can't exclude LeBron from the equation. There is this narrative that has been gaining steam that Palinka and Genie are somehow getting, they're somehow letting LeBron down. That everybody knows what kind of team he needs around him to play for championships, and they haven't built one. As if Palinka and Genie don't know that. The average fan out there knows, but Genie and Palinka don't. Stop it. Because they've already done it. They built a team for LeBron that won a championship. It just wasn't built to last. And why? Because they didn't have a whole lot of resources after making the deal for Anthony Davis. They had a few, but none that were burgeoning. And because LeBron didn't like the team he had around him when they lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Phoenix Suns after making it in through the play-in game, it was at his behest that they went and got Russell Westbrook. If he had said, hey, wait, I can win another ring with Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Alex Caruso. If he had said that, do you think Palinka and Genie would have said, no, 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 we're going to go get Russell Westbrook. Do you think they would have then signed Trevor Reza and Carmelo Anthony and Rajo, Rajon Rondo, the NBA veteran version of one and Duns? Not a chance. Who was posting workout videos of themselves and Westbrook putting in work together after Russell got to L.A.? LeBron. And who was telling the critics, along with those videos, that they were wrong to say the Lakers were far too old to contend and to keep that energy all season long when they were proved wrong? The critics, that is. LeBron. LeBron was saying all that. There's one common denominator in all of this. LeBron James. LeBron James right now is averaging the most shots he's taken in his entire career. Across the board, he hasn't shot this badly, had the lowest PER, or had this low of an offensive rating since his rookie year, 19 years ago, when he was just figuring out how to play in the NBA. When he was also leading a team that was not going to the playoffs. He's averaging the most turnovers he's ever had in his career. And this is someone who holds the all-time record for turnovers in a career. His three-point percentage is the lowest of his career. LeBron is averaging 25 points a game, and he is killing them on offense because he's playing the least efficient offense he's ever played overall. He has the highest usage rate on the team by a wide margin and 10th in the league overall, which means he has the ball in his hands more than any other Laker, which means there isn't a whole lot of distribution of responsibility. This is still very much a LeBron 
centric team that just won its first game. Look, Westbrook is being dragged as much as Palinka, and certainly more than other uh, any other player on the team. Yet he's fourth on the team in usage rate. Oh, and about that first win that they just got over the Nuggets. It was because of AD and Lonnie Walker and the bench, led by Westbrook. That's what essentially won the game. LeBron was a minus one in plus minus. Yes, he got 26 points, I think eight assists, six rebounds, if not mistaken. But overall, he was a minus one in plus minus, while Russ was a team-high plus 18, and AD and Walker were plus 15s. Let's also be clear about this. Notching their first win was in part inspired by Westbrook agreeing to come off the bench and separating his minutes largely from LeBron's. Now, I was told this by someone who had worked with Westbrook for a long time with the Thunder, that the key to getting him to buy into whatever you're doing is to tell him what you want him to do, to, to tell him what your plan is. Don't ask. Don't ask him what he thinks you should do. That makes Westbrook uncomfortable. That makes him question whether you know what, he's, what you're doing and what the plan is. He really doesn't want to be part of the thought process. He wants to be given orders. He may not always like them, but if you're clear and direct, he will go along with them to the best of his ability. That, I believe, is the genius here in Darvin Ham's handling of Russell. Yes, took him, brought him off the bench in the preseason and then went back and started him at the beginning of the season after Russell brought up the whole thing about, you know, his, he tweaked his hamstring because he wasn't used to coming off the bench. Look, Darvin Ham, first year head coach, first time head coach, is figuring it out on the fly and he makes an adjustment like that pretty quick. That's impressive in my book. Not only did he clearly handle Westbrook the right way in the way that he delivered the news to him, but he recognized that they had to do this different because you can't play LeBron and Westbrook together. You have to separate their minutes. They do not play well together. Neither one is particularly effective off the ball, and they didn't come up together the way, say, Russ and KD did, because similar situation. They both needed the ball in their hands in Oklahoma City, but they came in together. They were able to grow together. There were growing pains in the years where they weren't all that good or they were just scraping into the playoffs. This isn't that. There's a little chance of LeBron and Russell figuring out the most effective way to take turns when they're on the floor together under the circumstances. The other aspect here that seems to be ignored is that LeBron has demonstrated zero leadership with this team. And as I look at its composition, they need it more than ever. After the very first game, he talked about what the Lakers don't have. Shooters. After the first game, and then had to immediately reverse it after the next game and say, I'm not going to talk about what we don't have. Yeah, you should have never talked about what you don't have. That's not leadership. And then more recently, he had a cryptic post after they 
had lost their first four games. How long will you be taken for granted, is what he posted, apparently referring to himself. Four losses into the start of the season, and LeBron is already agitating in a passive-aggressive way for more change. And even more depressingly, Jamie Foxx responded, let him know in the comments. Now, I guess in part, I don't blame Fox. He's a fan. I doubt he's paying attention to what's actually going on with the Lakers, other than they still have LeBron and they are losing. And just as an aside, big fan, Jamie Foxx. Immensely talented. Uh, appeared with him long time ago on the Jim Rome show. think he's incredibly talented, incredibly smart wildly impressed with what he's done with his career. <laughs> that doesn't make him an expert on this situation or the NBA in general. I would bet that whatever perspective he has on them is being shaped by texts from Rich Paul, LeBron's agent, if he's getting any insight at all. He may just simply know that the Lakers are losing while they still have LeBron. But my fellow analysts who aren't supposed to have a dog in the fight, they should know better. They should be the ones educating Fox. Did Steph Curry feel sorry for himself at any point last year? Damian Lillard? Did either of them complain publicly about what they don't have at any point during the season? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. How many times... Have you seen LeBron gather his team this year and try to pump them up, get them on the same page, counsel all the new pieces on the team this year, like we've seen Steph and Dame do in recent down years? You see Patrick Beverly doing it, not LeBron. Does that seem right to you? Pat Bev just got there. Pat Bev doesn't really have a voice because he's not playing very well. Now, is this scenario... Something that we should be co-signing or ignoring in the case of what LeBron is not doing? Again, to be clear, it's not as if I expect more from LeBron. Well, maybe in the leadership department, but that's never really been his thing. He could just be a little bit better than he's at it, doing at it right now. He's 37 years old, about to turn 38. He's still a remarkable player for his age. But that's it. He's a great 37-year-old player. Not a great player, period. I conducted a survey at the start of the year and asked a collection of GMs, coaches, and scouts who the best all-around player in the league was. And to my surprise, LeBron got the second most votes behind Giannis. But after thinking about it for a while, I understand why, even though I don't, didn't, don't agree with it. It's because 
the people that I talked to focused on the all around part. And when you look at across the league and you think about guys who are capable of being good at every facet of the game, scoring, passing, defending, rebounding, LeBron is capable of doing everything still. He's just not capable of doing everything all at the same time. And at his age, that's not a surprise. So he's chosen scoring as the one thing he's still willing to try to do. Efficiency be damned. And with all the with the all-time scoring record looming, that probably shouldn't be a surprise either. But that to me is why the survey went the way that it did. When you look at Nikola Jokic, for example, does he defend? There's a question. Giannis, they didn't go with him first. Still have questions about his shooting. KD, passing ability. Steph, defense. I mean, you could go down the line of all the other guys that you would say is the best all-around player in the league. I get why LeBron got as many votes as he did. It doesn't mean that he's still capable of being the best all-around player in the league, as we are finding out right now. All right, on to Kyrie. As most of you probably know, the Brooklyn Nets aren't faring much better than the Lakers. They also have only one win so far. What you may not know is that going into the season, Kyrie's people told him at the start of the year, hey, you're about to be a free agent. Let's keep your head down. Remind everyone how great you are as a player. And let's avoid doing or saying anything controversial that's going to distract from people recognizing just how great you are. So that when you hit the free agent market, that is front of mind. Not the all the uh, not all the other stuff. Well, again, we're only two weeks in the season, and it does not appear as if Kyrie is taking that advice. Whatever your political persuasion might be, reposting material from Alex Jones of Infowars, the arch right wing conspiracy theorist who now owes the Sandy Hook families nearly one billion dollars for terrorizing them with stories that the loss of their children in a mass shooting were faking it. That's not a good idea. If you are as well-read, if you are as enlightened, if you are as thoughtful as Kyrie has told us that he is, you don't make the mistake of connecting yourself with Alex Jones. He's now had to walk that back. He claims that he still agrees with a conspiracy theory that Alex Jones put out there in the 90s about there being a secret society or cabal that is running the world. Kyrie says definitively, that's true. Now, just imagine you're the father, as Kyrie is, of a newborn, a two-year-old, I believe, and a seven-year-old, and on any level, you are agreeing with a man who did what Alex Jones did to the Sandy Hook parents and families. And then, of course, there was the posting of the banner for a movie or a book that made, was made into a movie. 
Hebrews to Negroes, wake up black America, which apparently suggests that today's Jewish people stole their Jewish identity, that the original Jews were black, and that white Jews are responsible for fomenting anti-black racism. I haven't read the book or watched the movie. I understand it's about three and a half hours long, so I don't know how accurate any of that is. I don't know if it's as deeply anti-Semitic as I've heard it portrayed. I do know it's controversial as hell to reference it without context, as Kyrie did, and then double down by suggesting that posting it for his 4.6 million Twitter followers is not promoting it. Did he condemn it? No. Did he explain why he was posting it? No. Kyrie is of the mind, apparently, that he is educating people by posting such things, not endorsing the viewpoint of what it is that he's posting. It suggests that Kyrie has never spent time in a classroom or listened even to a TED Talk, because referencing material, even without comment, is endorsing its validity. If he had listed that book or movie with a half dozen others, or if he was in the habit of posting books and movies that he believes are important for people to watch or read, then there might be a lifeline to his contention that this was not a promotion or endorsement. But without all that, all we have is Kyrie insisting that the world is flat. Or was he really? Or was he trying to just make us think about something that's already been accepted. What Kyrie wants us to judge him on his intentions, not his actions, or his alleged intentions, since we only hear about them half the time after his actions don't produce the result he apparently had hoped. Now, it's okay to admit what transpired isn't what we intended. We can have good intentions. Happens to all of us. But then to double down and suggest the problem is not that his actions didn't result in the desired result, but that it's everyone's fault for misunderstanding what Kyrie wanted to do in the first place. That someone else finds injurious or dangerous. It's just the height of immaturity. Here's an extremely banal comparison. My wife thinks I drive too fast. It makes her nervous. I've never had an accident since we've met, but I don't know that that really matters. It makes her nervous. She clutches the handle in the door, passenger side. Now, I can make a strong case that her fears are unfounded and she should just suck it up. And my driving fast ain't the problem. Her reaction to it is. But if I'm all about love and consideration, as Kyrie says that he is, I just slow the F down and take into consideration what is best for someone else. Now, you could also take the line, and I'm sure that Kyrie might take this line as well. You know, sometimes you got to teach people tough lessons. You got to put stuff in their face. Okay fair. Do we need to put things in their face that aren't necessary, that aren't 
necessarily teaching them or changing them or changing their minds. That's what I get the sense that Kyrie misses. You're not, by presenting this stuff that is unfounded, you're not convincing anyone of anything. Now, I'm going to guess Kyrie's followers are not Trump supporters, are not arch right-wingers. Yet, I find them acting exactly like the former president and his followers by complaining that when it comes to Kyrie and the book or pretty much anything else that he does, but in this case, the book and the movie, the Kyrie is being criticized for the posting and his followers are asking, well, okay, but why is Jeff Bezos of Amazon also not being criticized? Because he's selling the book. Or that Joe Tsai, the Nets owner, had no right to reprimand Kyrie because his China-based company, Alibaba, has reportedly funded the conversion camps for Muslims in China. Let's start here. Jeff Bezos sells a lot of books. Have we parsed and investigated every one of them? And why is he doing that? He's doing it because it's part of his business. Has Bezos actually vetted every single book on the Amazon site? I highly doubt it. Kyrie, meanwhile, is promoting this book and movie because why? He believes what is in the book. Now, when he confronted with when he was confronted with that, he denied it, saying that the posting was not promoting it. Okay, so why did he post it? He could have posted a million different books, one of any of the many that Bezos sells. But he chose to make his millions of followers aware of this particular book, this particular movie. That Kyrie is doing all this doesn't bother me nearly as much as all the people who are defending him. In some cases, lauding him for doing it. Why does anyone care what he says or does off the court? They ask. Why? One, because it's counterproductive to his job. Because he has made it clear that he wants to be taken seriously as a spokesman for causes off the court for two. And because he claims to be about love and peace and unifying people and he's supporting people and material that are clearly divisive. That's why. And by the way, it's also not doing his job very well. He is taking a career-high 10 threes a game and shooting a career low from that range, 29%. His defensive rating is 123, which means the Nets give up 123 points a game when he's playing. That's far and away the worst of his career. In the case of both LeBron and Kyrie, when did we begin to make so many excuses on so many levels for players paid to be superstars? Why is it everyone else's fault when they fall short? Especially when there is evidence right in our faces that they are not playing like superstars. I suppose the reason this bothers me so much is that I see it as a microcosm of what is going on in our country at large. Now, I've tried to stay as apolitical as I can. It's not because I don't care. It's not because I don't have opinions. It's because 
I don't believe that you listen to this podcast or that you follow me on social media or watch me on TV because you care about my political positions. I believe you care about what I can tell you about sports in general and the NBA in particular. But I also can't ignore that we are in difficult times or when the state of the nation bleeds into how we are treating the sports and the athletes that we watch. We're in difficult times, times when each of us as individuals can't rely on simply turning on our computer or our phone or TV and checking our news feed to be informed. We have to check who's saying it, what they've said before. And then, if we can, look at the actions of the actual person or people or entity in the report. We have to check more than one source. And in the case of the NBA, we have to look at the raw data ourselves. And by data, I don't mean just numbers. I mean watching the actual games. I mean listening to the actual interviews. Anybody not willing or interested in doing that, I have no problem with. Perhaps you have better things to do with your life, which is all well and good. (laughs) On some level, I endorse that. Just don't join the conversation. Or, as Kyrie has done, repost material and viewpoints without context. Or understanding exactly what reposting them means. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Still looking forward to getting into the Clippers and what I've seen and what's going on. Also happened to catch them against the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson. And I got some thoughts about where he is with his game and where the Pelicans are in the big picture. Before I forget, please check out my sponsor, Mizzen and Main, M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Especially with the weather turning a little bit cold now, they have a great array of jackets and cold weather gear. It's men's fashion made out of performance wear. And not only wear their dress shirts on TV, but I have now started to wear a lot of their casual stuff. Look sharp, get a lot of compliments on it. And just for my listeners, you can get... $35 off of your first order by using the promo code Buecher, my last name, 35, B-U-C-H-E-R 35. Give it a look. Mizzen and Main, M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Hopefully when you get back from checking out their catalog, I will have another episode of On the Ball dialed up. In the meantime... As always, thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.